Hey, 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 gang. Welcome back. Today, zooming in from beautiful New Jersey, we've got a real estate entrepreneur who's doing things a little bit differently. First of all, he's not investing in New Jersey. And second of all, he's investing in Section 8 properties. So if you've heard of Section 8, if you've been curious about this, then you'll definitely want to pay attention to today's call. So Zach McGinley, welcome to the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Hey, Dave, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Should be fun. It's going to be fun. Guaranteed. All right, my friend, let's start off telling us a little bit about the Zach story. What got you into real estate? Yeah, so um, let's see. I'm 24 now. Like I said, I live in New Jersey. I still live with my parents. Um, I went to Penn State. Well, hey, that's pretty smart in and of itself. I'm thinking rent is fairly reasonable, unless I'm mistaken. Uh, Not a bad idea. (laughs) No, no, it's definitely, definitely great. I mean, rent here now, if you want to live, I mean, a lot of people from my area live next to the city, which is in Hoboken. Rent down there, you're looking at about 4,000 a month. So, Wow. Yeah, that's getting a little, getting a little crazy. That's for sure. So perfect. So 24 years old. So at what point did you get peaked about real estate investing? Well, specifically, I mean, I guess you could pin it back to even in my college days, it just started with trying to find, trying to find a way to make money. I mean, originally I started, you know, penny stock trading and then uh, did that little shindig for a bit. My buddies made some cash and then college ended and it was right when COVID kind of happened. So I'm like, right. sitting there, oh, sh- oh sh- I can't curse Good. on this, right? <laughs> yeah, <go ahead. laughs> All right. Yeah. So I was thinking around like, what, what the hell am I going to do? Uh, joined up with my family business. Uh, they sell adhesives and like specialty chemicals. And I learned pretty quickly that uh, working with your family is not fun, especially when uh, you got to go home and live with them. So, <laughs> and I would imagine you're the low man on the totem pole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would. Uh, I'm I'm under the shoe. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, working with my dad, do, helping him out. Uh, figured got with my buddy, and we were like, hey. He came to me, actually. He's like, have you seen this before? I'm like, no, it's interesting. And I know just from, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, the book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and all the other ones that uh, real estate's definitely a way to to grow. And uh, I think it's almost bigger than real estate itself. It's what you do in it. So eventually I'd like to start doing private equity uh, capital raising and uh, start to grow that way. But so you got peaked, your your buddy introduced you to the book and Robert Kiyosaki and all that kind of good stuff. So what were the first steps? When when did you purchase your first property? Yeah, definitely. So uh, we were actually going to do it together. Uh, he went and worked. Uh, he works in Pennsylvania. So he became a contractor and he works for a big company out there. And my side of things, uh, I went and became a real estate agent actually down in Hoboken and, and tried to study and learn more of the process of buying and selling, the art of negotiation, you know, winning the deal, what you should look for in the inspections, what's big, big major red flags. And I did that for uh, about a year and a half and probably six months into that journey. I just said, you know, screw it. I got $20,000, $30,000. Why not try to buy a house? Uh-huh. And uh, then we've been rocking and rolling. So Hoboken, probably a challenge to buy a house for twenty or 30000 bucks. So where where was the first one that you purchased? Uh, Cleveland, Ohio. All right. So how did you clue into that whole thing? That's quite a ways away from where you live. And yeah, you're being a realtor, but where did you, where did you clue into investing at a distance and section eight? Yeah. So there's the two, 
I guess that's a multi uh, multi answer question. Mm-hmm. But uh, how did I clue into Cleveland? First off, I wanted to do it farther enough away to where I wouldn't be hands on, so I wouldn't be like a, a you know a typical landlord. Mm-hmm. Some breaks I have to figure out, set up a system for somebody else to go go figure it out. You know, so that was the main reason I wanted to be able to do it anywhere. I could be on a beach and buy a house. You know, that was that was my idea of thinking. Uh, and two specifically, Cleveland was uh, just you know market research, running numbers, seeing what you could get. Uh, you know, market rent compared to Section Eight rent compared to the home prices, and it's you know it's all about cash flow. So as long as I make my margins, that's all that matters. All right, so maybe walk us through a typical Section Eight deal, and maybe first of all, for folks who aren't familiar with this, and we've got quite a few Canadians listening to this as well. So, what is Section Eight? Exactly. Yes. So Section 8 is just public housing, basically. And there's no such thing as a Section 8 house. It's more of the tenant mm-hmm. program that they're on. So you can buy any house and put a Section 8 tenant in there. Um, so so government housing. So what is what does that mean? Who are these people and what kind of programs, government programs are they on? Uh, yeah. So low income to no income, basically. Okay. Uh, and uh, they... Do you, they either have, you know, they make less than 30000 a year, 20000 a year. The government helps them out and helps pay for the rent. Now, it depends on the tenant. So if the tenant has a good job and it's kind of a reverse system, I don't really like it. But who am I, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it incentivizes people not to work. Yeah. So if you don't have a job, the government will pay for all of your rent compared to if you do have a job and you're trying to make yourself better then they'll pay, you know, 75 percent, for example. And yeah, they they almost reward you for not working. Right. So exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Personally, I'm against it, but, you know, I'm a capitalist, so I like to make money. You figured out (laughs) how to to make it work for you. Okay, very good. So these are tenants that the government is subsidizing or completely paying for their rent. What kind of, you know, are are they encouraging them to live in kind of really crappy, cheap type properties? Or are they paying pretty good rent for these properties for their Section 8 clients? Yeah, yeah no, that's a, that's a good question. So um, it's really less of they're incentivizing the particular house because the tenant is just like any other tenant. So whether you're on Section 8 or you're a regular guy like you and me, Dave, who are looking to rent out a place, mm-hmm. they get to pick their property. However, there's just a backlog of so many people on Section 8, not only in Cleveland, like it's all over uh, the United States, all major cities. And soon enough, I plan on expanding out there, too. But, um, you know, there's too many people and not enough people for that will are willing to rent to Section 8 tenants. So they get a bad rap on, you know. Well, I, I, I can kind of see why. Right. There's a lot of stigma to folks who are on, you know, old non-politically correct term was welfare. Yeah. (laughs) So um, there's a lot of stigma about folks that are on welfare that, you know, there's alcohol involved, drugs involved, mental health issues, all that tons of little kids running around, all of these kind of stigma things going on. So were you worried about that when you first started looking at renting out to these people or, or what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Mm, not really. I mean, I like to look at people like blank slate. You know, I haven't met you. And unless I find something in your background to tell tell me you're lying or you're wrong, then, you know, you're good with me kind of kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I wouldn't say that was a major worry about me just because of the systems I put in place within the lease and, and the operation I'm kind of running with my people out there to make sure that nothing happens with the house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as any landlord would, it's always in the back of your mind, but we try to mitigate that risk as much as possible. I guess my question would be, Zach, is at the end of the day, is it really the tenant that you're renting to or is it the government that you're renting to? Who's who's on the hook if your house gets thrashed? Yeah, so it's both. I mean, the government's not really going to pay you for um, damage done to the house. So it, it's the tenant in that aspect. However, it's a little easier to evict uh, a tenant that you would want to because uh, if you evict a tenant on Section 8, they lose what's called their housing slip. You only get one housing slip in your whole life. So, yeah, so those tenants really want to hold on to them uh, pretty tightly. Plus, you say supply and demand. There's just a huge demand for housing, the Section 8 housing. So you got a lot of people that are living in really... Heck, they might even be um, unhoused. They might even be homeless waiting yeah. to to get the opportunity to get one of these kind of properties. Ah, I did not understand that. That's that's good to know. Okay, now the other probably false assumption that some people might be running on is, okay, well, if you're, if you're renting to these kind of people, these Section 8 kind of people, they don't have very much money, you know, how much is the government willing to subsidize for their rent? Like- are you able to get fair market rent for your property or do you have to kind of charge a, give them a discount? No, you actually get a premium. Really? Yeah. The government offers premium due to the fact that just like you said, supply and demand, there's a a big stigma around it. And which is in some case valid if you don't do your due diligence on your tenant, but that could be any tenant, you know, section eight tenant. Uh, But again, like I said, there's so much, so much uh, demand for these houses that the government will even are willing to pay you extra on top of fair market rent or, you know, average market rent in the areas. So I guess the next question is com- coming to my mind, Zach, is why isn't everybody renting their properties section eight? Uh, you know, especially for the, if the government's paying the, the rent, you don't have to chase after the tenant for their rent. If they screw up, it's easier to, evict them than perhaps other tenants and the, you might even be getting a premium over normal market rent with these kind of rental properties. Why has every real estate investor in the States not jumped on this? Yeah. Again, I mean, it, it comes back a lot of it's due to stigma, but in addition to the main part is the red tape with when working with governments, just oh, like okay. any other kind of thing, when you're working with the government, there's a lot of rules you have to follow. Uh, for example, there, we have yearly inspections uh, from the housing authority. So they come in, they give you a checklist. You got to make sure that everything is up to code, up to standards. And uh, just that that hassle of dealing with multiple different government you know, officials. And then now you got the person you're trying to get the rent. Now you're to, you know, arguing with the rental rate with the, a different government official who you just met. And then after that, you have another whole half contract. So there's a lot of paperwork. But uh, OK. Yeah. You're able to uh, get it down to a system. That's what real estate really comes down to at the end of the day. Oh, definitely. So Zach, you're running this from, from a distance. At this point, you're a couple of years into your real estate investing career. It sounds like you've self-funded uh, the properties that you've got right now. Is it the same or is it any more challenging to qualify for financing to get these kind of properties? Or is it just 
just like buying a regular rental house. Uh, do, do the banks give you any extra perks if they know you're going to be putting this in a Section 8 or they don't really care? Uh, a lot of people say they do. I haven't run into that yet where a bank was like, okay, yeah, you, Section 8, don't worry, just take my money. <laughs> but uh, Funny it doesn't work that way, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is definitely easier to get a DSCR loan, I would say, because there's less. You what, know, and what, it, what, is that, what does that acronym stand for for those of us that don't know it? Yeah, um, to be honest, I don't know what it stands for, but I know what it does. Um, what does it do? Yeah, what does basically, it do? Basically, the, uh, the banks will give you a loan based on the uh, rental, the, the expected rent amount you're supposed to get per month. Okay. So, you, you know, it helps you uh, sidetrack if you don't have a W-2, for example, or your credit score is a little shot, um, then you can uh, opt for that DSCR loan. Again, ooh. it's higher higher interest rate. A uh, little bit bigger down payment, um, but it is a, a route you can take if you don't have a W two job. Well, that's really good. That is that is huge. We don't have anything that I'm aware of like that in Canada. It would definitely be beneficial. Um, so, what do you find is the ideal kind of property for these Section Eight rentals? What have you found through your experience so far that is is kind of the perfect price point and size of property and style single family detached homes are they condominiums are they side by side duplexes what what kind of properties do you have yeah well personally my strategy is just single family homes uh i mean multifamily is big especially for section 8 i know a lot of investors are doing that or even apartment complexes um but me i like the single family homes especially with now and the real estate market in the united states you know Every, all the prices are through the roof. So it's a lot easier to get rid of a single family home to, uh, you know, somebody who's buying, for example, their first investment property than trying to be- uh, sell off a full apartment complex. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the specific single family, for me, it comes down to numbers. I mean, if they were offering a Section 8 rent uh, ratio in New Jersey compared to Cleveland, I would hop on that too. Mm-hmm. It's all just boils down to the percentage returns. I guess what I was asking is, are you finding it's like a three bedroom, two bath type home is the ideal type thing for the kind of tenants you're bringing on or one or two bedrooms? Yeah. What what do you typically find? Uh, definitely not. So section eight goes by the bedroom count. Uh, so it has nothing to do with bathroom. And the um, so more bedrooms, than- the better. Yeah. more bedrooms, the better. Hypothetically, hypothetically, because then you think, okay, now you got uh, a mom and, four children with, you know, the boyfriend comes over one and they're all piling into your five bedroom house. You know, you can just imagine the damage that could be done. Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, it's scary, but you know, if the money's there the money's there. Yeah, definitely. Makes sense. Awesome. Zach. Well, this, this is fascinating stuff. What are your plans moving ahead? Well, first of all, how many of these properties have you got on the roll right now? Yeah. So I, like I said, I bootstrapped them each. I'm in for each at 30 K, uh, I have two. And um, that's pretty yeah. good for a 24 year old kid that's, uh, you know, still living rent free from his parents and in, in, at home. That's smart. That's really good. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, I guess the goal is just to get three and then start start raising capital now, whether that be, you know, JVing it or starting the eventual uh, private equity fund uh, fund that I would like to start. Oh, I definitely recommend if if you're open to to some suggestions here, because that's kind of our shtick. We help people raise 
private capital, especially mom and pop real estate investors. What I would highly recommend you do, Zach, is start with joint venture partners, mm. get a bunch of properties under your belt that way, proof of concept. You seem like a very uh, smart systems focused person. So get your reporting systems, get all of that dialed in with joint venture partners um, and build up that experience and that credibility way before you start looking at starting your own fund because starting your own fund uh, is very, very, very expensive. Um, And talk, well, you're getting used to paperwork, but yeah, the paperwork involved and the legalities involved and all that kind of stuff is, is pretty big. So you may or may not want to go down that route if, if it were me and I were a young guy again, like you doing this kind of stuff, which is brilliant, I would look at how can I, because you already know what works. You can cookie cutter this yeah. and just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. So 30 grand gets me another house. So you need, you just need 30 grands is, is what you're coming up with, right? So, yeah. and that's not a very big investment. That's the yeah. beautiful thing, right? So you bring on a joint venture partner with 30 grand, you get into one of these kind of properties, you do a profit split on them. Maybe you're charging a little bit of a management fee in addition to your your share of the profit to you know get everything going there. But if the cash flow is is like I think it probably is, which is probably very good. Just give me an idea. What's the what's your average cash flow between the two properties you got right now? Like uh, on 20, a what's that? Twenty three percent return for the year. Okay, what it was it? What is it like? Cash flow, like how much? Let's say uh, my mortgage is five fifty. The rent is thirteen fifty. So uh-huh. it's cash flow positive, you know, seven hundred bucks or something like that, right off the bat. Yeah, so perfect. So imagine that seven hundred bucks. Even if you had to split that fifty fifty with your investor partner, yeah. basically, if they're getting three hundred and fifty bucks a month cash on cash return on their $30,000 investment. That's like whatever, 12 yeah. to 15% cash on cash return per year yeah. backed by solid tangible assets and with zero headache. Uh, that's pretty sweet. So what yeah. you'll find is you get one investor on board. They'll start off with one deal with you. You get a few months cash flow from it. They'll magically come up with another 30 grand. And if you, if you're smart about this, which I'm sure you will be, then as soon as you're getting them their first couple of cash flow checks, then you jump on Zoom, just like we're doing right now, Zach, and you and you kind of just do a quick little deal review with them. And then as you're doing that, you're recording this whole thing and you ask them some open-ended questions. So, hey, Zach, how do you feel about the uh, the the deal that we're doing right now, the, the returns that you're getting? on your $30,000. Is it working out pretty well for you? So you, you ask some, some open-ended questions like that, get some, some good feedback. Yeah. And then you're listening for sound bites. And then at the end of that, you say, Hey Zach, well, this is great. Really love working with you on this project. Obviously when we get another deal on the go, you get first dibs, but we're starting to kind of build up our volume of these kind of projects that we're working on. We're always looking for, amazing investors like yourself. Do you happen to know anybody else who might be interested in these kind of projects? Of course, you're going to get first dibs, but do you know anybody else that that might be interested in these kind of returns? Look for a, a warm introduction, a referral there. 
And then when yeah. you wrap the whole thing up, Zach, here's the magic. You say, hey, there was Zach, there were some really good little sound bites that you, you said in there, my friend. Would you mind if I use those as a video testimonial? That's a really good idea. Then you just zip it. The other person's going to say, probably say, yeah, sure, no problem. Okay, great. Right. I'll put it together. I'll send it to you and make sure it's okay with you. If they're really camera shy and they say, oh no, I really don't want to be, uh, I don't I don't want my video up on, on the interwebs or whatever. And you say, hey, no problem, Zach. How about if I do this? How about if I just take what you said and I'll write it out and I will send it to you. I'll email it to you. If it looks okay, could I use that as a written testimonial? And then you yeah. just kind of nod your head like this. And the other person finds it very difficult not to not to nod their head. And they're gonna say, Yeah, sure, if they if they turn down the uh the video idea. So there you got you got a twofer. You got a testimonial, and you might even get a referral to another investor partner. So yeah, that's that's how you can start to really snowball this whole thing. Definitely, definitely. I think that's the next step for sure. I want to get three under my belt, just as like specific, just so I know I have the confidence to do it. And yeah. then that's the exact plan. Eventually, what I would love to do is buy these houses in cash, yeah. for example. So you buy five and they're $100,000 a pop. Yeah. You buy five of them, refinance it into a commercial loan and then keep repeating it until you run out of the refinance cash, obviously. Yeah. Like to help build equity, you pay an extra mortgage payment every quarter. And by the end of the time, when you want to buy your investor out, you refinance, split the refinance 60-40 or however you have it set up and, mm -hmm. and keep the property. Or, yeah, you could do that. That makes sense. Or you just do a crap ton with investor partners, keep them absolutely thrilled and just keep buying more and more and more and more. Like it, it, there's so many different options. A lot of people, myself included back in the day, thought I need to have all of it. No, you don't, right? If you've got zero money in the deal, zero credit in the deal that's what your your investors bring to the table you're just finding the property organizing everything using your experience your team all that kind of stuff and you and you get ownership half ownership of that property and half the cash flow your returns are infinite my friend because yeah. you got zero cash in the game so just rubber rinse and repeat rinse and repeat rinse and repeat yeah i think you're definitely onto something there zach i i love that whole idea and you've got the benefit of time. Oh, here's another big tip for you, my friend. For somebody your age, because here's here's the advantage you got. You're a bright young guy. Okay, that's a right. big advantage, and you got a, you got a little bit of you put your own skin in the game. You got a couple of deals. You're gonna have three deals under your belt that you've put the money in. So that's awesome. The disadvantage you have compared to an old fart like me is somebody looks at your fresh baby face. Yeah. <laughs> look at my old grizzled, wrinkled face, and they're gonna go, This guy knows more about what he's talking about than that young punk does. Yeah. Very could be a very wrong assumption, usually mm -hmm. is, but you got to kind of overcome that. That's uh, when we're I've worked with a, a number of um young bucks, young, young real estate investors. And the, the so the trick that we've found that I think will work really well for you, Zach, is you leverage believe it or not, your parents, yeah. average your parents, because I'm going to, I'm going to guess it'd be fair to say that most of your buddies from high school and from, from university are broke or close to it. or not yeah. making very much money or still partying hardy or whatever. Right. They, they don't have a lot of $30,000 is yeah. to be your investor partners. 
but their parents do. Your parents' friends do. That's where to focus is is on them. So if you leverage your parents, it sounds like your dad's a business guy too, and and his personal and his business connections, that's where the capital is. That's where the capital is right there. Definitely. And actually, I would probably, I don't know if you've done this already, I would probably try to get mom and dad in on a deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you done that? No, no. I, I mean, I, I keep trying. <laughs> well, they, they, they aren't going for it yet. They're seeing no, what you're doing. My 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 dad's in the process of selling the business. Uh, oh, we okay. helped set it up, so he's waiting until uh, that's all. He wants, he, ka-ching, ka-ching, dude. He's got the big chunk of cash. Got it. Okay, because that that would be ideal. Get get mom and dad involved in a deal. So when they invite their friends over for dinner, and you happen to be doing a a little presentation about what you're up to with real estate. Yeah. They can legitimately say, "Yeah, we're one of Zach's. We're we're invested in one of Zach's properties, and it's working exactly like he's talking about there." Yeah, yeah, I think definitely that's, definitely, that's the easiest way. Definitely up here. I'm definitely going for that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about a a young couple, uh, Jake and Leanna, that we're working with. They're they're fairly young, but they have lever. They that's where I got this idea. They leveraged their parents. Yeah. So we were telling him, hey, get get a bunch of these investor meetings booked. So <laughs> their parents were helping him out. They would get set up with their parents' place and they'd be, you know, the parents would invite a couple over, a couple of couples over for whatever, drinks or something like that. And Jake and Leanna were there and they happened to be doing a, happened to be doing a presentation with the parents. And then they invited these folks in and it's like, they got investors engaged left, right, and center. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, nice. yeah. It's a smart idea. I mean, you just have to leverage your network. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, no, you got to leverage your parents' network. Exactly. That's who you got to leverage. Awesome, my friend. Well, time flies when you're having fun. If people want to get more Zach McGinley, how can they do that? Uh, you could follow or connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me on Instagram, shoot me a tweet. Uh, it's Zach McGinley, Z-A-K-M-C-G-I-N-L-E-Y or Z McGinley on uh, Instagram. Sounds good. Well, keep up the good work, my friend. Can't wait to hear how things uh, pan out for you with uh, with raising the capital. Definitely. Thank you for having me, Dave. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Take care. and We'll see you on the next episode.